Welcome to this week's Every Man Men's Study with men's expert and pastor, Kenny Luck. Now, my name is Jeremy, and I'll be your host for part three in our series titled, Made for More. You know, as men, we are naturally embedded with the desire for greatness. You know, we want to save the day and be the hero. But what do we do if that desire and dream for greatness begins to fade? You know, culture and reality, it can slowly decay our God-given desire for greatness. But today, we want you to know that it's not too late. When you can find your purpose and meaning in Christ, you can still find greatness. Now, before we join today's message, take a moment to share this message with another man who needs to hear this. Now, let's join Kenny at Crossline Church in Laguna Hills, California for part three of Made for More. All right, guys, if you have a Bible, you want to open to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't, there should be some notes uh, right there on your table. Um, we're in a series called Made for More, and I just want to ask a question. When you were little, did any of you own any superhero-type paraphernalia? Anyone? Anyone? Like, okay, so my dad, like, he gave me a Davy Crockett coonskin cap, right? I just dated myself. Remember the song, Davy, Davy Crockett. Okay, there we go. That's what I'm talking about. All right? But when you're little, it's, uh, it, you know, the, the, the ethos, the dream is just like, man, I want to be great. I want to do great things. And then we kind of attach ourselves to these mythical characters, you know. Like, I have this photo of myself on my trike. And, I, I'm, you know, I, 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 when I'm three years old, I have this huge plastic Batman helmet on. You know, it's like I'm riding that Batman motorcycle, but it's a three-wheeler, and it's a red trike. But the, the issue here is we want to be great, we want to do great things, we want to stick it to evil, we want special power, we want to defend the weak. There's just some, you know, force inside of us when we're little that makes us want to be great and be significant and do great things. We feel like we're made for more. And then isn't it interesting, as we grow older... The dream adjusts, you know, so you go from being want to be Batman, well, maybe I can be a fireman or a policeman or maybe one of those guys who suits up on a gridiron, you know, and becomes great that way, but I still want to head to glory, you know, and then more gravity, more earth, more age, and then all of a sudden the dream adjusts again, and then instead of being Batman or Superman or fireman, I'm I'm turning into a guy who looks out and says, wow, significance involves being possession man and power man and pleasure man. And, and the, the dream that you originally have for greatness, it devolves into this cultural thing where we look at guys out there and we're like, oh, they're the ones who are visible and getting the attention and this is how they're getting it. But in the process, they stay immature and make people suffer. Okay? And so I, I share that just to say that there's a, a war for your, your energy and your soul and your purpose. And that's why we're doing this series called Made for More. And what I love about a relationship with Jesus is that I don't have to fantasize about greatness. If I'm in Christ, I can be great and do great things. Amen? Amen. Look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Let's read it together. Ready? Fight the good fight of the faith. 
take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. When you confess Christ, you enter the adventure you were born to participate in. You don't have to, wor- you don't have to fantasize about it. You don't have to search for it. You, don't, you, can, you can embrace it, and now you can fight the good fight that you, were, you always felt like you wanted to fight inside, and you can win significance and win greatness but win it the right way and be a source of blessing. I love the language here. It says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And that is the challenge, men. Taking hold of the eternal life to which you were called. When you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So we confess Christ. We, be, we, we believe in our heart. And we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Man, now we're on the team. The question is, are you on the bench or are you in the game? Because on God's team, there are no bench players. Everyone's a starter. Everybody gets PT. Everybody plays. But you got to take hold of it and hang on to it for dear life. Take hold of the eternal life to which you're called. And there's your more. Because really what you were searching for was your eternal purpose. You were searching for, man, why am I here? Where am I going? What am I supposed to do? And, I, and in the process, I want to sense and feel meaning. All right, well, the Bible just told us that. So let's review for a second. Write this down. I am made for more. You're made for more. John 14, 12, we talked about this. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And greater works than these will they do. That's what you're searching for. You don't have to look around anymore. You don't have to like chase money or chase power or chase possession or chase some kind of visibility or image. You need to know Jesus and enter into the life of greater works that he already has planned for you. Second, write this down. I'm planted to produce. We've been talking about this. When God talks about his people, his men, he talks about them like something that he plants And when God's planting, he's expecting. All right? Say that with me. When God's planting, he's expecting. That's right. He referred to to Israel as the vineyard of the Lord. He would talk about um, his people, his community, as like a fig tree. That's why when we read that passage in the New Testament, remember? Jesus saw the fig tree. He got excited. And then the Bible says this. He found nothing but leaves. He was looking for fruit. He found nothing but leaves, but there was this big show, big leaves, and then he goes into the Passover, into Jerusalem, right? He rides in on a donkey. Big leaves, big show, big expression, big image, big words, all right, but not a lot of fruit, and that's why he cursed the fig tree. It was a parable. Wow, all leaves, no fruit. When God's planting you in the kingdom realm, he's expecting fruit, and that's my next point. I am called into the kingdom realm. We read in part two of this series how God has rescued us from the domain of darkness and delivered us into the kingdom of his beloved son. See, when you think about a kingdom, you know, you think, oh, okay, King Arthur, you know, the old, no, you're part of the kingdom of Jesus. It's a realm and there's a ruler, 
And there's a mission to extend the reign and rule of the ruler, right? That's the kingdom that you're in. It's more real than what you see and touch and feel. It's more real than the clothes that you're wearing. That's the reality to which, to which you belong. It's the whole basis of the C.S. Lewis series, The Chronicles of Narnia, that we live among men but as we live among men, there is this epic panorama, spiritual battle for the souls of men and the purposes of God and good versus evil, and we're all a part of it, whether we know it or not. So we're called into the kingdom. Lastly, I am inserted to influence. And that's the passage we're going to begin with today. You're alive now. You're placed here with the people that are in your lives, among people, to influence them for Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 17, it says this. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death. To the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, let's finish it together. In Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. You're inserted to influence. You're alive now. You're placed where you're placed. You live on this part of the planet with people, among people, to influence people for Jesus. And you know, anytime you're talking about an aroma with guys, you got to be careful. But you guys get it. I mean, when you walk into a room and there's an aroma in there, it can be good or bad, right? Especially like on men's retreats in your cabin. It can, it can smell the high heaven. But you know what? We also know the other kind of aroma that's pleasing. Like I have these jasmine bushes on the side of my house. And when I walk out there, it's unreal how fragrant. I mean, it, it covers three houses. People can smell the jasmine smell from all these bushes on the side of my house right along the fence. And it, it's just like, whoa, it just like hits you in the face. And it, it captures your senses. You notice, like you're walking normal air, and then boom, you go, oh my goodness, what's that? People go, what's that? Where's that coming from? And then you see, you know, these, these blooms, these jasmine blooms. That's the picture, all right? People should see and sense Jesus in you. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. You're inserted to influence, and he uses this picture of what happens when a, another people is conquered. So in the first century, if the Romans conquered another uh, people, what they would do is they would march, have a procession, a good old-fashioned parade, and march back into the home territory. And in that triumphal procession, all right, the people that they conquered are chained to the chariot. And in a city, there is flowers and, and petals 
They're going everywhere. You might have seen pictures of that where they're throwing petals and it's, it would create this aroma in the city where the parade was that would let everyone know, hey, there's a victory. We had a victory and they're celebrating the victory. And now they have the conquered people coming in and they're chained to the chariot. You know, and, and when Paul says this, uh, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives, guess who he wants to parade in front of the world? You. You are his trophy. You are his victory. You're the one that he's conquered. And guess who's chained to the chariot? You're a captive. Now I'm captive in Christ. And he's marching us before the world. And he's, he's, there's, the, the petals are going. People are to catch that aroma, and we're the ones that people are looking back. So let's unpack this, what seeing and sensing Jesus in you looks like. Write this down. It means that you're going to be more visible. It means you're going to be more visible. That, that parade, I put the, the passage down there, but thanks be to God, all right? This is a good thing. It's, a, it's an image that, that, that people could understand, a parade, all right? And in this instance, it's an awesome thing. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. So the visibility isn't connected to you. The visibility is connected to Christ's victory in your life. That's what he wants to display. The visibility only makes sense in Jesus if the credit is going to him. He was the one who won the battle, amen? The battle on the cross. He was the one who did the rescuing. He was the one who fought for your soul. He's the one who redeemed you. He's the one who came from heaven to earth and lived among men and volunteered to die for you so that you could have the victory. But God wants us more visible. Now, Jesus talked about this. This whole visibility issue is not new, right? Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Circle that. He's giving you a picture of there are some things which are possible and there are some things which are impossible. It is impossible to know Jesus Christ and not shine the light of Christ. Look at what he says. He goes on. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and listen to this. It gives light to everyone in the house. Let's finish it together. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Wow. So there you have it. That's your identity. And I remember going to camp as a, as a young kid and singing this little light of mine. Remember that? This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, oh, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Pretty good. Not bad. All right? As in, in camp world, not bad. We're not going to record it. But guys, this visibility issue, you got to get that. Identity in Christ, visibility for Christ. Say that with me. Identity in Christ, visibility for Christ. 
He expects. He's planting. He's expecting fruit. Your identity is in Christ, visibility for Christ. That's why he's in you, not to stay inside of you, but to shine through you. That's what we call shining the light of Christ. Your salvation shines the light of Christ. Your transformation of your identity, your transformation of your energy, your transformation of your new expression in Christ shines the light of Christ. And it's meant to be seen. But visibility, remember, right, has everything to do with him, not you. That's what you got to watch out for. Because when you start to use him, for visibility, instead of making him visible, and you use him to make yourself visible, watch out. Watch out. So, seeing and sensing Jesus in you means you're going to be more visible, and it's going to glorify God. That's how you know it's right. Does the credit go to you? Or do people go, boy, there's something different about that person? Wow, I really... I really see and feel something or sense something different. And they're not going to talk about you. They're going to talk about, wow, I just really feel loved. I feel peace. I feel joy. I see joy. I see patience. I see kindness. I see love. What they're talking about is Jesus in you. That's what they're seeing and sensing. Right? They glorify. Jesus says, you know what? When you shine your light, people will glorify your Father who is in heaven. So seeing and sensing Jesus in you, this more life, means you'll be more visible because of Christ in you. Second, you'll be more usable. It says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us. Circle that. Uses us. Doesn't discuss us. Jesus doesn't go, doesn't discuss us. He doesn't debate us. He doesn't deflect on us. He doesn't disclaim about us. Jesus uses us. Jesus in you, the purpose for Jesus in you is so that he can use you as his vessel. Look at what it says here in 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. The picture is of a home and things in a house. In a well-furnished kitchen, there are not only crystal goblets and silver platters, but waste cans and compost buckets. Some containers used to serve fine meals, others to take out the what? Take out the garbage. Let's finish it together. Become the kind of container God can use to present any and every kind of gift to his guests for their blessing. See the picture? You're living in Christ's realm. You're a vessel for Christ's honor, for Christ's glory. He pulls you out to bless because you're a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. You're an instrument in the hand of God. When you come into Christ, not only are you going to be visible, more visible, but you're going to be more usable and flexible. You know what I love about David, the man after God's own heart, is that he was flawed but usable. Amen? And in Acts 13.22, it talks about why God used him. The Bible says, but after removing Saul, all right, that means God not, God's not using Saul anymore, he made David their king and testified concerning him that I have made David, son of Jesse, 
The king, because he's a man after my own heart, he will do everything I want him to do. Wow. See that flexibility? Even when David failed, when God said, repent, what did David do? He repented. When he blew it, he confessed. Then he got back on. And then he started doing what God wanted him to do. You know, but... When you, when you think about your relationship with Christ and this, this, this life of more that you seek and that you want and that you long for, it's being visible for Jesus because of Jesus. It's being usable by God. And, and the admonition here in 2 Timothy is become the kind of container God can use. Right? You can be a cracked pot, but you've got to be clean. God's power in your life requires... No unconfessed sin. If you have sin in your life, it's a barrier. God can't work with sin because he's holy. Does that make sense? It's like, you ever said to somebody, sorry, I can't work with you. Because there's this in operation over here. And I just can't, I can't connect to that. I can't work with that. You know, it's like, it's, it's like opposite forces. So that it, and I'm not saying that you have to be perfect, neither does the Bible. But you have to be clean. You know, I love when the Bible says, but we hold this treasure in jars of clay, right? Clay was simple, but the jar had to be clean. Is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Are there some things in your life that remain not examined on purpose because you want to keep doing it, and you know that you know that you know? I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be saying that. I shouldn't be thinking that. shouldn't be watching that. shouldn't be saying that. shouldn't be putting my body in that place. Shouldn't be doing those things with my body. Whatever it is, if you want to experience God's power, and if you want to, if you want to live an eternal life, you have to have an adversarial relationship with sin. Amen? That's what the Bible says. That's why Jesus would use the language of amputation. You know, I work on the seventh floor of West Med in an oncology unit. And when they discover cancer, the immediate goal is to eliminate it so that it doesn't metastasize, so that it doesn't spread, because a little cancer can go a long way. Some of us know from personal experience what that's like, right? But to be usable, right, I have to be, uh, I have to have this relationship with sin. I have to be clean. That's why the Bible just says, man, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you're going to bump into sin, you're going to do things that you didn't, didn't want to do. Or there's going to be some unplanned things. There's going to be some struggles in your character. But when you become aware of it, you confess it. Why? Because I want to be usable, right? All right, that's number two. Number three, when I am in Christ, I'm more visible, I'm more usable. And then third, I'm more portable, all right? Funny word, right? Portable? Wait a minute. The spiritual life is portable? Absolutely 120%. What does portable mean? It means you can take it anywhere. I'm here with you now. Wednesday, I'll be in Haiti. Same Jesus, same gospel, same Holy Spirit, same power, same truth, same need, same healing, same deliverance. Those people need the same thing that you and I need. They need more of Jesus. And guess what? Everywhere I go, guess who goes with me? Jesus goes. Everywhere you go today, Jesus goes with you. He goes with you in your car. He goes with you to work. He goes with you uh, to, to, your, to your neighborhood. He goes with you to uh, your interactions at home with your wife and with your family. Every brother that's at your table, Jesus goes with you. 
but you become more portable. That's what the verse continues, just kind of tracking down that 2 Corinthians passage, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us, and then this next section, to spread the aroma. Everybody say, spread the aroma. Spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Everybody say, everywhere. Everywhere. So, you see, wherever you go, Jesus goes. That's, what he to- that's why he told the disciples, it's better that I go. Because then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to become portable. See, Jesus is right here right now in Laguna Hills, California. Guess what? He's in Sydney, Australia, Tokyo, Japan, Lima, Peru, and Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and Quadabuque. He's everywhere. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. The body of Christ is everywhere. And wherever you go, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you're bringing Jesus wherever you go. That's why Jesus could say to the disciples, even though they didn't understand it, it's better that I go. Because now people don't have to wait in line and try to get to me and hang on my, pull, tuck, tug, tug on my robe and touch me and, and, and wait in line. I'm more available now in my absence than I was in my physical presence. It's better that I go. Because then I'm going to fill people I'm going to live inside of people, and now I'm going to have 2.3 billion people all over the world who name my name and who know me and love me and serve me. And now I'm going to get into every crack and crevice of planet Earth through you, okay? Through you. Guess what? You have your own assigned crack and crevice. Don't giggle. (laughs) But that's why you are where you are. That's why you live where you live. That's why you work where you work. That's why you drive where you drive. You are on mission, all right? You're portable. Look at what the Bible says. Acts 1.8, Jesus talking to his disciples. Let's read it together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, you're portable. I don't know where you're going today. But I know wherever you go, Jesus goes. And his purpose is for you to be visible, to be usable, and to be portable. All right? Next, you're going to be more eternal. You're going to be more eternal. Visible, usable, portable, more eternal. You know, he goes into this this passage in verses 15 and 16, and then he says this. All right? Let's read it together. It's right underneath the fill-in. Ready? For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. Did you know that when you walk out this door, you're going to be among two types of people, believers and non-believers? The one group you're supposed to encourage, believers. Your job with believers is to encourage and edify and build them up and encourage them. When you're with non-believers, you know what your purpose is? Evangelize. Tell them the good news in word and in deed. Move them toward Jesus. Why? Because they're not believers. One person with one group, man, you're an aroma of life. When you're with believers, man, it's really encouraging to be encouraged. Amen? And then there are some non-believers who will be encouraged by your presence, but Jesus said, wide is the way and broad is the path that leads to destruction and narrow is the road that leads to life, All right? So when you go out among non-believers, you're still supposed to be an aroma, 
for for one group, the believers, you're 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 a great buzz. You're good energy. For the other group, you're a buzz kill. And in some parts of the world, they'll kill you because you're a buzz kill. Because you threaten how they want to live culturally. Okay? So when Jesus says, wow, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those. So you're going to go out, you're going to be among believers and non-believers. Okay? For some, you're going to be an aroma of life. God's going to use you to lead people to Jesus. Okay? What an exciting thing. He's going to use you to encourage people in Jesus. Lead people to Jesus. Encourage people in Jesus. Are you ready to do that? Okay, yeah, that's your job. That's why God's in you. To encourage people in Jesus and lead people to Jesus in word or deed. Okay, sometimes it's in word. Right? That's the gospel. Sometimes uh, it's in deed. That's the gospel. Both are the gospel. And a lot of times we need to use more actions than words so that then we can share words and be credible. But we have to become more eternal. You have to realize that it's an eternal life that you live. You don't live an eternal life when you die and go to heaven. You live an eternal life now. Your eternal life starts now. People think, oh, my eternal life starts when I die and I go to heaven. No, your eternal life starts now, the minute you receive Christ. And then you get visible and usable and portable and you, you start entering into these eternal battles in people's lives. Oh my gosh, really? Yes. That's the reality to which you belong. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. Really puts it into perspective. But we have this treasure, okay, Jesus, the gospel, in earthen vessels. Now I'm going to stop right there, okay? When you see the words earthen vessels, just think, ordinary, not sexy, not flashy, nothing to them, okay? So you have extraordinary things inside an ordinary container. Isn't that me and you? The extraordinary Jesus, the extraordinary Holy Spirit, the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit inside this plain, old, decaying tent, you know? But there's power and treasure inside of me. All right, now let's move on. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Connective phrase, so that. Circle that. That's how you read the Bible. Whenever you see the word so that, a purpose statement is coming after those two words. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body, listen to this, the dying of Jesus so that, circle that, the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Let's finish it together. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. You see it? You get it? We sacrifice comfort for eternal impact. We carry around in our mortal bodies 
the death of Jesus. That means we sacrifice. We sacrifice so that others can know Jesus. We give so that others can know Jesus. We climb on planes so that others can know Jesus. We leave our families so that others can know Jesus. We get uncomfortable so that others can know Jesus. We show up in spaces that we're not familiar with so that others can know Jesus. And it's a push and a pull. We might get persecuted. We might get crushed. We might get rejected. We might get abandoned. You know who got persecuted, crushed, and rejected and abandoned? Who? Jesus. And you know what? If he lives in you, you're going to be persecuted, crushed, rejected, and abandoned, but it's worth it. That's what, that's what Paul says. Death is at work in me. I'm dying a death. I'm suffering loss, but I'm suffering loss so that you can experience gain. Death is at work in me. Life is at work in you. So I pay the price to win your prize. Wow, that's what Jesus did. He paid the price so that we could win our prize. Heaven, forgiveness, redemption. You see, when you walk out those doors, it's going to cost you something to follow Jesus. But you know what? It's one of those costs that you pay. It's like, man, this is totally worth it. It's like after a hard day's work. You're just like, oh my gosh, I just did that. It was so worth it. All right? Where it was just like, yeah, I sweat. Yeah, I stressed my brain out. Yeah, I did that. But guess what? I get a paycheck and I get to provide for my family. It's worth it. You know? I get to give. You know, I get, to, I get to live life in a better way. You pay the price to win the prize. That's the life that you have. And you have to think eternally. You see, this isn't the, this is the eternal economy. This isn't the fleshly economy, the temporal economy, which always takes care of itself, which looks out for its own interests, its own comfort, its own convenience. Man, you're never closer to Christ than when you're sacrificing for Christ. You're never more like Jesus than when you're sacrificing like Jesus did. In fact, that's what your bond is with Jesus when you get to heaven. In Hebrews 2, it says, he made the, the author of their salvation fit to lead through suffering. And then it goes on to say, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. He's like my dad. You know, he would get together with his veterans of foreign wars, guys. What, what bonded them? Suffering. Suffering together for a, a, a cause that's greater than yourself creates a bond that transcends. It transcends. You see, guys, your bond with Jesus is when you suffer for the cause like he suffered for you. And then when you get to heaven, it creates a bond with him. That's why he's not ashamed to call you a brother. It's not because of your comfort. It's not because of you looking out for yourself. It's because of how you suffered for what God declared to be significant. That's, what, that's, that's the joy in the obedience, amen? That's what we're called into. So we got to step up and step into that eternal life to which we were called. That's what's on the sign out there. It says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. That's why this Bible study is called the call. It's not a call to comfort. It's a call to self-denial and self-limitation and to suffering in the end. Because Jesus would say, hey, come and see. Everybody's welcome. Then he'd say, come and commit. And he'd dial up the commitment. And then he would say, 
come and die. And guess what? That's what you're ready to do if you're a man. If you believe in something truly, you're ready to die for it. Right? And that's what we all want. Lastly, after being more visible, more usable, more portable, more eternal, lastly, more credible. Boy, I tell you, Christianity has a credibility crisis, especially among Christian men. Especially among Christian men. And eight out of ten Christian men are sipping porn every day. I know that because that's the realm I live in. Okay? 55% of all pastors have been to a pornographic website in the last year. We're split, we're divided. We have a credibility gap. All right? And then there's the Christians who whose God is all about love, but they're so dang judgmental. And unable to give grace to people. And it, it just creates this, these conflicts. And the world's out there kind of scratching their heads. It's like, hey, you know, I get Jesus. And I see the love of Jesus. And I, I see the courage of Jesus. And I see the tenderness of Jesus. And I see the toughness of Jesus. And I see the sacrifice of Jesus. And I see the servant nature of Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the perfect man, Alpha and Omega. And then they see Christians. Wow. We have a credibility crisis. And Paul talks about that in verse 17. He says, and who is equal to such a task? All right? The task of being visible, usable, portable, and eternal. Who's equal to that? And then he says, unlike so many, let's finish it together, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. What's Paul saying? There's the posers out there and the synthetic Christians who have image, and then there are the men of integrity who have substance. They're sincere. They're those sent from God. They live before God. They're not pimping God for visibility and credibility and kind of riding God's coattails to fulfill some aspect of their personal goals. No, they are credible exactly because... They're the real deal. When he says, and I underlined it, in Christ we speak before God. Circle before God. You want to be an authentic Christian? Live for an audience of one. Because you're not going to stand before me when your ticker stops. You're going to stand before Jesus. And so I live now for that moment. I'm going to stand before Jesus. And you know what? When I realize that, I'm more sincere now. (laughs) I take things more seriously now. I take sin more seriously now. I take the time I have left more seriously now because I'm going to be standing before him then. You see, I'm getting ready. I'm living with the end in mind. But this whole issue of when you are in Christ, you have the, 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 there's a possibility that you'll be more credible. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians Chapter 1, Paul's talking about how he lived among people. Again, made for more, I'm saying that you're inserted to influence. But when you're inserted, how, do you, how does that work? What does it look like? What, is it, what does it sense? Well, you're visible, usable, portable. You're thinking eternally, and now you're more credible. Look at what Paul says to the Thessalonians. He actually speaks to what made him credible. Right? He says, we know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you. And has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, okay, there's the context. Right? Paul's saying, when, when there was a nexus between me and you, 
me in Christ with this treasure in a jar of clay. When I came, when I brought you the good news, listen to what he says. It was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. That's one side of the equation. Now let's finish it together. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. So there was what Paul said, and then there was how he lived. And how he lived backed up what he said. Does how you live back up what you say? Do you have spiritual integrity? Paul's saying, you know what? I know I'm just a jar of clay. I'm a cracked pot, but I'm clean on the inside because of Jesus. And I have this treasure that's laying inside this regular, non-extraordinary jar of clay. But guess what? That treasure has power. That, that treasure has integrity. That treasure can be felt, it can be sensed, it can be experienced, it can be, um, it can be smelled. You can sense it, and it can be super credible and pleasing when I'm with people. And, it's, and that, that sense that they have is reinforced by the life that I live. You see, that's called integrity. Now, God wants to use you, right? You're inserted to influence, okay? You're a man sent from God, and, and you're, 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 you're in the exact circumstances that you're in to be the aroma that spreads the knowledge of Christ everywhere, starting in your first circle. It's not like we go and spread the aroma of Christ in the world, but not in our home with our wives and our kids. It's not like we, we go to, to Mexico or some regional missions trip and then we don't spread the aroma of Christ where we actually live for most of the day. Or maybe in our workplace, right? We got to focus there. And my question to you this morning is that if you are not going to do that, who's going to do it? If not you, who? I remember hearing a, one of the greatest men that I've ever known, Bill Bright, say that to me directly, personally. Just kidding. If not you, who? You're it. You ever have somebody do that to you? Okay, you're it. What does that mean? That means it's, oh, I'm responsible now. I'm it. I'm the person. I'm the delivery mechanism. Guess what the Holy Spirit's saying to you right now? You're it. And you can try to run from that identity. You can try to run from that responsibility. You can try to shake it off. You can try to dilute it, pollute it, do whatever you want to do it. But guess what? You're still it. You're the vessel. Even though you, you, you have all your stuff and all your flaws and all your shortcomings. That is the amazing thing is that Jesus goes well beyond saving the sinner. He gets even more glory when he uses the sinner. Amen? I'm a sinner. I'm so flawed and imperfect. My gosh. But that's the amazing thing, is that God wants to use me to do something for him. Today, I'm it. 
Look at Paul's mindset. Last scripture. I want us to, to read this because it's in the Bible and it's said by a man of God because this is the mindset of the man of God. All right? Let's read Acts 20, 24. Ready? But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Not discussing the good news, not debating the good news, not pointing to the good news, telling others about the good news. You know, you, you talk about what you're excited about. I don't know what you're excited about. Some of you guys are excited about motorcycles. Some of you are excited about golf. Some of you guys are excited about photography. Some of you are excited about basketball. Some of you are excited about baseball. Some of you are excited about cars. Some of you are excited. I don't know what you're excited about, but guess what? You talk about what you're excited about. And you get, I mean, you ever had a gearhead discussion with, with guys before? I mean, the magazines they buy, I mean, there's billion-dollar industries because guys are excited about stuff. Did you, the last thing I said, they're excited about stuff. The things they're into. And that's not bad. I hope you enjoy those things. But I hope you're more excited about Jesus than you are about your stuff. I hope you know more about the Bible than you know about your stuff. I hope you talk more about Jesus than you talk about your stuff. I hope people sense what you're about more and they identify you more in Jesus than about your stuff. Or whatever your hobby is. Right? Because that's the life. That's the more life that you want. That's the one you always wanted. When you were four, five, and six, and you wanted to be great and do great things, it's in Jesus. It's in Jesus. You're made for more, especially if you know him. You're made to live eternally, all right? So that when you get to eternity, you can go, oh, man, I'm, I'm glad I started living eternally now versus waiting till I died and then started living eternally. That's a myth. That's a lie. Satan would love you to believe that eternal life starts when you die. No, when you got saved, you were saved eternally. Me, July 2nd, 1982. And that's when I started living for heaven, as a citizen of heaven, for the king of heaven. And that's what he's called you to do. You believe that? All right, then let's ask him to use us, all right? Bow your heads with me. God, we need your power. Why don't you say that with me? Say, God, we need your power. We need you to fill us with Jesus. We want to be an aroma that brings life. So God, I confess my sin. I want to be a container that you can use. Holy Spirit, fill me right now. Holy Spirit, tell me who I am. Holy Spirit, break the mold I'm in right now. And create me new in Christ today. Make me visible in Christ Make me usable in Christ. Take me everywhere, Jesus. Help me think eternally. Help me see people. And help me to be the real thing with integrity that comes from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Yeah! Amen. Amen.